Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, which this week are... Ferrari's protest dismissed and stick by us, says Carlos Sainz. Audi continue to make strides into F1. Hamilton dismisses rumours. Historic tracks to leave Formula One, and is the domination really the spectacle? Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Brian and you're listening to the Formula Words podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Dawn King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. As you know, once a week we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. We are the Formula Nerds news team, and to make sure that you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I'm your host, not James. I'm, of course, Sam. James is taking a much-deserved week off as he uh, goes to a spa retreat with his partner. Uh, So, yes, I'm filling in as a kind of super sub, I guess, but I am joined by... Abby, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. You've done a good job of hosting so far. And obviously we missed James, but you've done a good job, so well done. So far. Abby, you're, <laughs> you're being very kind. You're, you're, you're glossing over the what the third or fourth take, uh, so I appreciate it. Well, that. listeners don't need to know that. They just hear the final product, so... I'm also finding that I can't turn off my presenter voice when I'm answering a question to you, so uh, I'll have to work on that as we go through the show. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you like that. To our other panel guest, Ollie, welcome to the new show. <laughs> How are you, Sam? Uh, you're doing a good job so far. Um, it's very. Your voice oh, has changed from being on edge. It's, it's, it's completely changed. It's it's like you're a different person. I know. I know. Shall we get into the first item? It's uh, it's Ferrari. I mean, every week we have a Ferrari 
issue to discuss. They're uh, the gift that keeps on giving in that sense. So, as you all know, following the Australian Grand Prix, Ferrari were a little bit unhappy with the penalty that Carlos Sainz was awarded. They weren't alone in that. A lot of the fan base felt that it was a little bit harsh, particularly the penalty given, not necessarily giving of the penalty. Uh, Carlos Sainz himself was displeased. And a few of the drivers, including Fernando Alonso, who was spun around by Sainz, also uh, felt that that was very much the case. So because of that, Ferrari protested the decision. And we heard on the 14th of April that uh, that would be reviewed by the FIA. Um, And that happened the 18th of April, that review, which was rejected. Their right to repeal was um, denied by the FIA. Ferrari had forwarded three arguments, um, a new evidence to then be reviewed. First of all was telemetry data. Secondly um, was driver testimony, so that was Carlos Sainz. And thirdly was media clips and snippets from other drivers following the Australian Grand Prix, uh, all of which was rejected. Um, And it was said in the um, decision document, the telemetry data presented in the position is at best ambiguous and in our view did not exculpate Sainz, but in fact corroborated our decision that he was wholly to blame for the collision. So basically what they're saying is that Ferrari have cemented that in their minds uh not that they could make it worse but yeah it was indeed fruitless guys this has rumbled on for a couple of weeks now are you glad to see the back of this was it really a bit of a minor incident is only getting column inches because let's face it we're a little bit light on the ground with news first thing i'd like to ask sam is what does exculpate mean because before this show we were obviously doing our research um and yeah, I, I don't think it's a standard word that many people use. Um, so Ferrari did not exculpate. What does that mean? So the dictionary definition is show or declare that someone is not guilty of wrongdoing. So it is actually the right word, but it's fancy language. It's not a word that everyone would use on a day-to-day basis. It's not plain spoken, basically. It's not layman's mm. terms. Abby, what, what what are your thoughts? I think it's nice to have it closed, to have that chapter closed. Obviously, during the race, we all heard science over the radio and his anguish at being given a penalty. And he thought that the steward should have spoken to him before dictating the result. I think in his driver statement, he blamed poor grip. We know that tyres were a particular issue across the weekend, but also that the sun was in his eyes. At the end of the day... The Stuarts thought that there was sufficient gap for science to take steps with the collision, and he didn't. The Stuarts have made their decision, need to stick by it. I think the FIA are being tougher this year. They're being stricter on the penalties that they're giving, sometimes maybe too tough. I know in the rate review, I said I didn't really agree with the penalty science court, and I still don't completely, but the FIA have made their decision, so... They need to stick by it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it was a harsh penalty to, to give. I think the problem that they got into was because it was two laps from the end of the race, it, the the end product was much more harsh than they probably would have wanted it to be. But what options did they have? That is what the penalty is for an incident of that nature. So they kind of had to, after awarding the penalty, which they have deemed the right decision, had to apply that five seconds which was, yeah, more severe than it usually would have been. Um, so I think that's where they need to maybe have a look at the rules. 
but they applied the correct decision at the time, having decided that a, a penalty was warranted. Yeah, and the, the last thing I'll say on this is that it's 16 days ago since this happened, right? It's taken 16 days to sort of confirm the race result. Now, Ferrari couldn't bring any new evidence. I don't think that's really what it was about. It was about this was not treated correctly in the first place. There's never going to be any new evidence 16 days later. I, I just feel like, yeah, they were never going to win this. I understand why Ferrari had to do it. I mean, there's millions and millions of pounds worth of um uh, prize money based on on points in F1, so they had to do it. But this was the result that we all expected. Yeah, completely. And I think when we say new information or new data, I think it was presented to the FIA for the first time because, it, as as we all know, there was a little bit of surprise at how quick and decisive they had been in awarding that penalty. Obviously, in the the red flag period, whereas as we know. The FIA have have taken their sweet time at points when it comes to awarding penalties. So I think that's where it kind of was clearly they hadn't spoken to Carlos Sainz. And that was one of his main grievances. And that was obviously the second piece of evidence presented. And obviously they wouldn't have had the media um, snippets from the post-race shakedown. So yeah, I mean, they clearly had their their mind made up already. um, And they didn't feel that the new evidence changed that really. Um, But sticking with Carlos Sainz, he has come out and essentially kind of tried to, I guess, explain how Ferrari and, and Marinello uh, and the uh, feeling to the Tifosi, because understandably Ferrari fans are pretty peeved at the start of the season, especially following on from a season in 2022 that were, you know, promised so much in the early stages and was ultimately pretty disappointing by the end of it. So he's come out and kind of said that, look, we get that you're upset, but stick by us. We're the ones that are the most upset. And I quote, he says, we're the ones who aren't happy. You have to realise that nobody is more upset or angry or unhappy about the situation than every single team member here. We're the first to not like the situation and we're the ones who are going full throttle to turn the situation around because it's also about our egos, our performance. We're proud to be Ferrari and we want to take Ferrari forward and sometimes the comments in the media are more of a distraction and drag us down rather than helping us. So it's interesting, it's quite combative really, that that language there. He's, He's basically saying, look, back off. We're trying to do our thing. We're trying to improve and you're making it more difficult. So how are you guys interpreting that? Do you think it's as far as it comes across? Do you think it will get Ferrari fans' backs up? Was it the right play from a PR point of view? I, I I'm not sure it was because at the end of the day, this is a, well, all sport is, is driven by fans. Um, yes, you have the players and the drivers in sport, but ultimately it, it's the fans who, who are behind you and, and, and live and breathe and, and watch the sport. So I think he's, he's almost saying, listen, we're aware of it. We'll come back, but don't, don't put the fans down and say we're more unhappy than you are because actually the people who tune in and choose to tune in that aren't being paid to tune in um they're the ones who it, who, who it hurts right and you know all the people at ferrari are being paid to do their job I, I, i'm not sure on this one that's really interesting ollie that you've singled out the first half of that quote extended quote because for me it's the second half that's the more kind of combative the more aggressive from science is i but on reflection i completely see what you mean it kind of 
doesn't necessarily come across particularly well. But I do feel like this is what Ferrari fans will want to see of the team, of the drivers, is that fight of kind of get off our back. Like, with you know, you want to drum up that kind of reaction. Because if they're just like slopey shoulders, like, oh, well, you know, we're trying, you know, we don't really care. I'm getting paid millions of pounds a year. That's going to be more infuriating. So the fact that he has been so fiery in response, I think is a good thing. It shows that that motivation is there. The bit is between the teeth. He's got a chip in his shoulder. I could go on with other metaphors. Uh, Abby, feel free to jump in and stop me. <laughs> but I think you see what I mean, that, it's it's in some ways what Ferrari have been missing is that drive, is that anger, that that hurt at their situation. So I think in some ways it's it's a positive thing for him to come out in this way. I was going to say exactly that. It feels like science is making a statement to Ferrari fans. Like, look, we know you're unhappy, but everyone here at Maranello, everyone in the Scuderia, we are also very unhappy. We know that there are things wrong and we are going to try and fix it. We will be going full throttle, as he said, to turn the situation around because at the end of the day, Ferrari are such a historic team in the sport and they don't want to be where they are now. They don't want to have these issues. It has been more than a decade since they won either championship. They want to get back and they did have such a promising start in 2022 Everyone thought that the 2023 would be their year, that Leclerc would win the championship. It hasn't gone their way. So to have this statement from science is kind of, look, we know there's something wrong. We're dealing with it. Give us time. We will get back to where we want to be. Exactly. And I think that's the really positive part. The the bit that I find more bewildering, and this is quite a nuanced quote, if you kind of pick it apart at various different angles, the bit where he's talking about it's more of a distraction and drags us down rather than helping us. Surely you have to just separate yourself from what is said in the media, especially when you're working and driving for Ferrari, because you are going to get so much attention day in, day out, whether or not you're winning championships, whether whether you're struggling more than is acceptable for Ferrari. You've got to tune that out. As a, as a, as a high-level athlete, as a high-level team, You've got to do that. Yeah, certainly. It does seem that he he's owning at the moment. He's owning what's going on at Ferrari. He's aware of it. And he's saying, we're, we're aware and we're going to change it. Now, the other person who is owning their future is Lewis Hamilton. As we know, his contract expires at the end of this year. And I have said in a previous podcast, this is going to be the talking point of this entire year. And it's certainly starting, like it's, starting to look like it's going to be. Um, but... It seems like Lewis Hamilton is putting the rumours to rest by saying he dreams to be with Mercedes till the end of his last days. Hamilton was speaking to Autosport and he said, I continue to feel very much at home. It's my family. I see myself being with Mercedes until my last days, to be honest. Um, And then he even went on to speak about Sterling Moss. He said, if you look at legends, Sir Sterling Moss was with Mercedes until the end of his last days. So that's been the dream for me to one day have that. Well, I have that. So I mean, just continue on and continue to build with the brand. So there has been talks of Lewis going to Ferrari. Many people think that that's the way he wants to end his career. Um, but Lewis is coming out backing the team at the moment. And he, he backed the team all the way through last season um, and, and through difficult times. So guys, do you think 
Do you think Lewis is going to renew this contract? Do you think he's looking at other options? And realistically, how long do you actually think he's going to be in Formula One? I think he will renew it. I know, like, Toto Wolff has said that if Mercedes can't give Lewis a competitive car, because, as we all know, the W14 was not up to par at the beginning of the season, then he's happy for Lewis to look elsewhere, and he actually encouraged Lewis to look elsewhere, to actually go to a team that has a competitive car. However, from what we've seen, the W14 doesn't look as bad as people once thought. And I think that will be the reason why Lewis will stay with Mercedes. He has so much history with that team. He said he's got great relationships, amazing allies within all the personnel there. And he said as long as he can continue to help the team and help drive them forwards and contribute, that's why he wants to stay. And at the moment, yes, he's one of the oldest drivers on the grid, but he's still in pretty decent shape. He still has that competitive spirit within him. I think he will still be around for a few more years at least. Hopefully he'll get his eighth title within that time. But I don't think this is this season is the end of Lewis at Mercedes. He will definitely still be there, in my view. That's some very understated yet relentless optimism from you there, Abby. <laughs> uh, he will A, get his eighth, you know, B, you know, stick around at Mercedes, and C, and actually I should probably level this, the W14 isn't as bad as we first thought. So fair play to you. That's, uh, you know, next time I'm feeling down, I'm going to come to you for uh, for some inspiration. I think the, the nucleus of Toto's comments is basically, yeah, Lewis getting that eighth. I'm not surprised by that. I think someone like Toto Wolff would rather Lewis got his eighth than stayed at Mercedes and not got it at all. Such is the bond and the strength of their relationship. It makes sense to me. I think if I were in either of their shoes, that's how I'd feel. The comments from Lewis don't surprise me. Um, if I'm right in thinking this, Ollie, he doesn't actually talk about time frames. So his end of end of his days could be the end of the season, as far as we're aware, right? Is that realistic? Probably not. But I don't know. He's certainly not going to come out and say, yeah, I'm interested in going to Ferrari, what, three rounds into the season. So he's... Yeah, but then he's also been quite definitive. I think if he was considering leaving, he'd maybe skirt around the issue a little bit more. So, yeah, I think a couple more years are left in him. I think he'll ultimately call it quits sooner than he has suggested or sooner than people who think he'll be around for a while think. Yeah, I mean, he he did also say about um, he's he's happy for a young driver to take his seat. Um, obviously, you've got George Russell on the team. Lewis seems to be sort of coaching him. Um, how old is this Van Ockham? Well, exactly. Um, but um, referring to contributing to Mercedes, he said, if, if there's ever going to be a point where I feel like I'm not able to do that, then it's time for a youngster to come in and take my seat. He did say, but I'm still pretty young in decent shape. So Lewis is being Lewis, right? He's saying what he needs to say. He's committed to Mercedes. I'll I'll be honest. If I I were Lewis, I'd rather be at Mercedes than at Ferrari. Um, So, and I I also can't see a scenario where Carlos Sainz is just going to lose his seat to to Lewis or either Leclerc is. It, It just doesn't seem like a, like a, like a realistic scenario, does it? No, even with Carlos's, you know, quiet starts of the season. He's a routinely, grossly underappreciated driver in the sport. 
he has been competitive against a number of different teammates now. And I think people need to put, to speak as the kids do, put some more respect on his name. So moving away from drivers that are staying and teams that have history within F1, move to teams that are going to be joining F1 in 2026. So Audi, as we know, will be joining the sport when the new set of regulations comes in. But they are continuing to make strides within their Formula One project. I think this week, if I'm right, they will be presenting the F1 project of Audi in China for the first time, doing an F1 show cart with the Audi launch livery. But they have also got 260 specialists on board. They will have the hiring of staff to be completed by the end of the year with over 300 people, I believe. And also they will have additional testing rigs within their facility in Nürburgring as well. They'll have the first full hybrid drivetrain unit for their single cylinder engine, which was completed at the end of 2022 and has already been tested. So there's a lot of things going on with Audi. The CEO has said that motorsport is an integral part of Audi's DNA, and they're convinced that joining F1 and their commitment to the sport will strengthen Audi's sporting focus and also increase the global reach, specifically China where they're launching the F1 Shoka, which had its Chinese Grand Prix cancelled this year. A lot of news, a lot of strides being made, a lot of personnel and developments happening in Audi. What do you guys think? Are you excited to have to see the progress that Audi is making, even though they're still a few well, a few years to come before they actually join the sport? I think their their new motto is something we need to touch on as well, Abby. Um, F1 power made in Germany. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Especially when you're going up against Mercedes. So, uh, that's, that's some real, real sass to that, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, I, but from day one, Audi have got in on the media game. And this was when it was looking more likely that Porsche would come in alongside them at the same time. So a bit of a kind of under the same umbrella rivalry. But yeah, they've, they've added Mercedes um, on a couple of occasions already, which... I think is great. You want those kind of rivalries in the sport. I love having manufacturers uh, as well as um, you know works teams. I think it's yeah, it, it will certainly add to the show come twenty twenty six. Yeah, and are they going full Audi? Um, I mean, it really does look like they're they're trying to you know, take on, on, on Mercedes. I, I'm just not sure. And I'm going to be honest, you know, Audi are doing all of this PR work as such, but when they get to their first race in 2026, is it really going to pay off? And are they going to be um, the F1 power made in Germany? Abby, do, do you think this is all talk or what, what's your take? I think they are trying their best. I think it will be difficult for them to start, but all the teams will be in the same situation with the new regulations. I'm excited to see what Audi do. They are a big car manufacturer, a big name. And like Sam said, it will be interesting to see the manufacturers of the cars go up against each other. But we'll just have to wait and see. Also, we're in early 2023. We've got a three-year head start. We knew of this from last summer, and it was rumoured long before that. It's not every new entry or every year that a new entry comes along with at least four years of prior preparation 
and research and development and all the other things that go into making a successful team from day one. I think it's often underappreciated how difficult it is to land on a grid and be competitive straight away. However, I think if anyone is going to be more competitive than average for a new team, it'll be someone like Audi. Well, in other news, which has kind of been going on for a few months now, I know it was a talk from last season, but obviously there's new tracks coming into the sport. We have Qatar, we have Vegas, Miami. And that makes everyone wonder what's going to happen to the old historic circuits like Spa and Monaco. Well, Domenicali has now spoken out on these historic tracks, potentially leaving the calendar and what they need to do to earn the right to stay. And Domenicali said, if they want to be in the calendar, they need to be doing the things we believe is right for them and also for us as F1. He said the track can't just rely on the historic aspect and the heritage of them. He said to be arrogant and believe that you have to be granted future because you had a race since 100 years, to be very honest, is not enough. That's why with the so-called historic Grand Prix, we are focused on understanding what is the view of the future. Now, he also said that F1 is still seeing if they can go to Africa, which hasn't had a race in many years it is the only continent apart from antarctica at the moment that doesn't have that doesn't host a grand prix what do you guys think because this is quite controversial because i know a lot of people think like spa and monaco should definitely still be on the calendar because of the heritage but dominicali just said that's not enough to keep them on there i think for starters we need a race in antarctica um but secondly it's Dominicali, he's been with F1 for so many years. What on earth is he saying? And I think there's a real battle here between the commercial aspects of F1 and the reasons that people actually watch F1. Now, if Spa was taken off yeah. the calendar, I would I would be half tempted to boycott F1. Um, there, there are certain reasons why I love F1, and Spa is absolutely one of them. Uh, Silverstone, that's a obviously the first Grand Prix was held there. Um, historic races, or what, what, what did he refer them? He said historic F1 venues. You can't take them off because they are... F1. If you put three races in Saudi Arabia, what are you doing? You're just being paid. You're ruining the sport. Honestly, I I really don't like this at all. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously driven by commercial interests, what he's saying here. And uh, that's not surprising. He has a fiduciary duty to the shareholders of Liberty Media and Formula One. It is a live traded company in that sense through Liberty Media. So it is at the whims of commercial interests much more than it was during the Eccleston era. Like that is just a a reality of the situation. So Demilicali is going to say stuff like this and he's going to opt for Grand Prix that pay more than traditional venues do, that maybe can't afford to. Ollie, before I get into the kind of history and tradition side of it, I have a challenge for you. If you, you say that you want to boycott F1 if they get rid of Spa, which is looking likely. This year, go to Spa. Stay in... Where was it I stayed? I can't remember where I stayed. You stayed somewhere in Brussels, Liege, didn't you? Liège. No, yeah. it was Liège. Br- right. Brussels, Brussels is way too far. Stay in Liège, travel in by public transport, and walk from the public transport to the venue all weekend, 
and then tell me you want it to, to still be on the calendar. Well, the, the, uh, Sam, this is a great point. I was about to challenge you on this because... It's in the middle of nowhere. I have been to Spa, right? And yeah, it's a nightmare. But at the end of the day, it's not all about how many fans you can get there. It's about the people who are watching it and enjoying it. And most of F1 is I'm not screwed. about necessarily being there um and you know if we look at the, the history of spa we've had some of the greatest races that have defined f1 at that circuit we haven't had the great well okay we've had some good races elsewhere but let's say abu dhabi we haven't had sport defining races at that circuit no and you have moments like hackenan's overtake on schumacher and zonta and you've got all these amazing moments that have happened at places like spa and uh gonna get a little humble brag in there and i watched the 2022 belgian grand prix from the inside of Rouge at a bar with a few pints so i had a great time i loved i loved that part of it but yeah it's the logistics was a bit of a nightmare but that's another story going back to the tradition though i'm not one who's big on tradition generally i think that a christmas dinner is much more convenient and better in the evening than mid-afternoon so that's how i feel about traditions but for starters f1 has to go back to africa it is essential for the sport for what it says about the world and being inclusive and and all those other things we haven't been to Africa in 30 years. I think it was 20, 1993 was when F1 was last in South Africa. And even then, it's in South Africa, which is a country with a very checkered past when it comes to human rights. So there needs to be Grand Prix in other parts of Africa as well. I think that's really important. But yeah, the tradition side of things, that, that is what makes F1. A Grand Prix that's been there for 100 years, yes, it should be on the calendar. Like it should. I don't know why this is up for debate. There should be some lost leading Grand Prix from that commercial point of view much like you know if you have a brand or a shop or whatever or a restaurant you have venue you have you know a restaurant in certain areas part of your franchise that doesn't necessarily make enough money to be self-sufficient but you do it for brand awareness for all these other factors and that's i think key for f1 you need to be in these places because that is what has made f1 what it is I mean, I'm going to just stick with the Spa example here. I know he's not he's not targeting Spa. Uh, well, potentially is. Again, this was during a, a Liberty Media investor call, so he's saying what the people want to hear. But, Abby, I'm just going to ask you, when was the last time you saw an incredible Belgian Grand Prix? There haven't been any recently, have there? Uh, yes, we know they can happen, but when was the last time? I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like... A lot of people who watch F1 now can get wrapped up in the commercial side of things. But like you said, guys, the historic sport-defining moments are historic. They haven't happened in the last couple of years. Apart from Abu Dhabi 2021, that was pretty sport-defining. But Not track-defining, sorry. <laughs> exactly. It's, it is interesting, but at the end, like that Dominicali has said this, but at the end of the day you have these circuits that have contributed so much to F1. They are classics in F1. They are part of the history. And to just add different American races, I know it is great having more races in America, but adding so many more, going to have two in Saudi Arabia because the country wants another one. It's, it is such a shame if these classic F1 circuits like Monaco, like Spa, 
were to be taken off of the calendar because it would feel like to me a part even though a lot of the historic moments happened before I watched F1 it would still feel like part of the sport would then be missing if we didn't have a Belgian Grand Prix on the calendar and I think there are more circuits that we haven't mentioned you know Suzuka that's a historic circuit you know is that under fire what's he even referring to here I think what he's talking about is is new new events on the calendar right and which ultimately will bring in the highest income for f1 and i I just by my personal view is just to end it here is that that short-term goals um f1 was built on 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 heritage and some incredible moments if you're looking to change that to quickly boost your balance sheet um it's going to be a detriment to the sport and also just sorry ollie i know you want to move on but there is now a formula a very specific parameter in which F1 tracks are designed. So the new ones that are coming onto the calendar, by and large, have a lot of very similar characteristics. And obviously, we know Helmut Tilke, Tilke Domes, they are, you know, you can see the same corner cropping up all over the, the calendar. And that's what the, the old tracks have, is that, that authenticity. And that cha- unique challenge, Monaco, is so different from Spa. Both are equally challenging for drivers for different reasons. The same way drivers love Suzuka. It's it's also about them. It's also about that spectacle. Not necessarily if it's great overtaking or great racing, but it's seeing someone put it all on the line at 200 miles an hour going through you know, a, a very, very fast corner where if they crash... You know, it could be game over. That is part of the sport as well. Well, another part of the sport is domination in F1. Now, we've seen many teams do it over the years. We've seen Ferrari do it. We've seen Mercedes do it. And currently, it is Red Bull dominating the sport. Now, um, the, the question has been asked, you know, is F1 worried by Red Bull's domination? Now, this, this is... Again, if we sort of look at the, the commercial side of it, if Red Bull win every single week... Are people still going to tune in? And, and that, that, that's an interesting question. But Dominicali has said, the FIA has a duty to make sure Red Bull is compliant and the new regulations will allow teams to catch up. He is ultimately saying uh, domination in F1 is not new, but the FIA's job is to make sure they're doing it um, legitimately. And he's also gone on to say, if a team is faster than the others, congratulations, they did a better job than the others. Do you guys agree with this i mean personally i think if 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 red bull are smashing these new regulations i I sort of agree with them congratulations yeah i broadly agree and if you listen to last week's show that's kind of the conclusion we came to it's that yeah as long as they're compliant with the rules then great good for them this is part of the sport that if you want to make it a spec series you lose an element of that competition of that innovation of that drive to produce the best car within the parameters of the regulations so yeah, congratulations to Red Bull. The bit I'm less kind of convinced on is the these regulations will bunch up the field together, as if it, we know that that will happen. I just, I, I'm the jury is very much still out on that. We've redefined the regulations countless times, and domination has happened in each era. It is a byproduct of Formula One, and I think that's fine. Each era is defined by 
the dominant team and at the moment it's Red Bull. What I would, interestingly, slightly off topic, would be interested to see is whether or not a successful Red Bull team in F1 directly correlates with Red Bull selling more energy drinks. Or is it just a consistent brand presence that is effective or do they do better in years the team does better? Great question. I mean, I think it does. I think if Red Bull are winning, you're going to think that's a winning brand. It's the same way. I'll be totally honest with you. I bought a Mercedes. Um, you know, it's it's the same sort of thing. I mean, also I can't afford a Ferrari. That you know, that's one thing. But um, you know, I think Dominicali's he's also said, and he's gone back a bit here. He said that the cost cap penalty will see the team fall away by the end of this year, and the others catch up. Is he almost relying on the fact that Red Bull? I don't want to say the word, but um, um, went over the cost cap, let's say it like that. Is he relying on that to bring it back together? Because again, this was a call where he was talking to investors. He's trying to tell his investors that the sport's going to be more exciting again. Oh, funny that we're back to investors after our previous point. We're talking about fiduciary duty, right? Interesting that. I think in fairness, though, on the cost cap penalty thing, that is to claw back any potentially illegal gotten gains uh, that Red Bull may have... uh, Gotten, uh, which I don't. I think the penalty is probably. It's difficult to know really how much they gained by going over the cost cap. I don't think they really gained that much, but also I don't think the penalty will have that much of a difference because that gain is set in stone at this point. I think it. I'm not a fan of Red Bull, which I'm sure the listeners who continue to listen <laughs> just know. Really, that, just, <laughs> you, know, you have you have me fooled because Ollie has a Mercedes, but you've got one of those Mini Coopers with a massive red ball can on the back. <laughs> so, I, I haven't I'm, seen one of them for ages. Honestly, I'm at a loss. I mean, but it is great that they are dominating because that means that they have excelled at the regulations. Like Jamini Carly said, congratulations. However, it when the team dominates so much and they are so far ahead of all the other teams on the grid. I mean, it's quite a close grid. If you look back, there's not really a back marker because Williams, Taff, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tari, they're all doing quite well, actually, this year. Everyone has points now. And when you have a team so far ahead, it does get a bit boring and it does get predictable. And for me, it does kind of ruin the excitement of a race because if Max is on pole... Max will probably win. But at the same time, the it just means that Red Bull have done the job that they needed to do if they are still within the regulations and compliant with all the rules. I think Domenicali is very optimistic to say that the competition between all the teams will even out and they will all get very, very close to Red Bull. But we are only three races in. We still have quite a long way to go and teams haven't brought major upgrades yet. So I think we just need to see after a couple more races, when we get into the start of the European bit of the season, how they actually perform. I think this is the problem, right? We're we're three races in and we feel like, especially with this long gap, that (laughs) we're halfway through the season. Um, We are three races in, but uh, Abby, I've just got to ask you, Sam asked a brilliant question. I need to ask it to you. If you were going to buy an energy drink, which one would you buy? Well, I don't really buy energy drinks. But, but, but if you do. I'm, I'm far too classy for energy drinks. Abby drinks smoothies, darling. But um, which, which, which one would Mimosas you buy? with the girls. That, that completely distracts from the Essex part of me. But um, probably Lucasade, to be honest. 
fair. I mean, I was going to say Sainsbury's Blue Bolt because I have no money. Um, <laughs> I'm going home, Brand. Uh, I have another really good question, though. Do you think that people look upon the Red Bull domination less favourably than they did maybe during at least the first part of the Mercedes era of domination because Sergio Perez is not able to bring it to Max Verstappen in the same way that Nico Rosberg could with Lewis Hamilton? No, because but where Mercedes were were dominating, right? And okay, there was the Rosberg, and then there was the Bottas side. You know, Bottas did win races, not very many, but he still did. Um, I, I he won ten in five years. Okay, I know, but he still that's, won. A few. That's Sergio. Um, that's Sergio Perez esque, in my view. I th- I think people are looking at it less favorably because of um what well, the, the the time that we do not speak of which is Abu Dhabi 2021. I, I personally believe that's why it's it, it's looked at uh, less favorably. And I, you know Mercedes dominated for so long it's unfair to be you know critical of Red Bull for doing it. Um but yeah, I just think I mean, the, the, it. there was a huge um uh, changing of the guard uh, at that time and I feel like it didn't happen when it should have happened yeah I think Abu Dhabi 2021 and that whole season really kind of has played into the whole oh well Red Bull dominating is a bad thing and some people may think it is but they're just showing what this sport is about excelling at making the fastest better car but Dorina Carly also said something that was interesting he said that it's the avid fans of F1 that are showing a decreased level of interest in the sport and the newer fans those who have come from Drive to Survive and joined the sport in recent years they don't seem to really care about this whole oh Red Bull's dominating and that's a bad thing do you guys agree with that do you think that like Drive to Survive fans care less about the racing like Dorina Carly has said I mean, there's a there's a popular podcast which we're not going to talk about who have said something similar. Um, however, I, I think Dominicali sort of he may have hit the nail on the head there because you know we we are all racing fans. We want to see racing, um, but yet it's still growing with the younger generation where we're not seeing racing for the the, the win. Sam, well, I'm dying to know what you think of that. I think that what that. I mean, first of all, you need to see numbers, right? It's a, it's a very kind of, oh yeah, they think this. And it's so difficult for us to comment on because we obviously don't have the data that he has. We, we don't have opinion polls. We don't have all the kind of things that F1 will do, surveying behind the scenes and focus groups and so on and so forth. For the newer fans of the sport, I think older, more traditional fans would argue that all they have ever known is domination. Mercedes first, now Red Bull. I think for more traditional fans of the sport, that is somewhat hypocritical because we know that we've had long periods of domination before. I think just a lot of people grew up in an era where you would have these seasons of massive domination, say 88 or 92 for McLaren and Williams respectively. And But you tend to have these years and it'd be one or two years and then there'd be another dominant power. And, you, and it was really only, it feels like, and I might be wrong on this, that when it got to Schumacher's era of dominance, that you had a prolonged half-decade-long era of dominance. Before, it was a year or two here or there, and teams were fairly consistent. Williams and McLaren were up there competitive throughout the kind of late 80s and early 90s pretty consistently. But it wasn't just one-way traffic and then traffic the other way. 
Is this because we had a sort of overlap year? 2021 was a was a year that we didn't know who was going to do it. And for F1 fans, it didn't matter if you're a new F1 fan or an old F1 fan, um, we had genuinely the first season in, as long as I can remember, that there was one of the biggest battles we've ever seen between two teams. And no one knew who was going to come out on top, maybe for the constructors, but certainly not for the for the drivers. And now we've gone back into that Right, we know who's going to win. We know who's going to win. We know who's going to win. It's like we've almost been teased with what F1 can be, and it, it stings that little bit more. Yeah, I think that was such a good season that you, like you said, you never knew who was going to win. And whilst 2023, we know who is most likely to win, Red Bull, they're dominant. I think the thing that has helped this season so far again we're only three races in is the fact that you have the likes of Aston Martin up on the podium they were the in the first two races Alonso was the only other driver only other driver other than Perez and Verstappen stand on the podium and if you look further down the field I think the competition between all the other teams is what is helping this season yes Red Bull are dominating some people won't like it some people will be so good that so happy that they are but it's just the way that the sport is at the moment yeah absolutely and I think sometimes you have to ride out those tough times um and talking of riding out that's pretty much all we have time for today <laughs> so thank you very yeah, I mean I'm feeling smooth I feel it. like that was a, a wonderful segue uh, if I'm going to pat myself on the back there thank you very much for listening everyone Ollie Abby, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. I feel like we've gone way over uh, our usual time, but that's nice sometimes. I, I, yeah, we love chatting F1. So yeah, thank you for joining me. Thank you for hosting, Sam. I'm sure James will be proud to have you in his seat. As always, head over to our socials at Formula Nerds. If you want to talk about anything from the show, have any thoughts that you want to want to share, or uh, you know, tell us off for something we've said info at formulanerds.com as always um but yeah we'll be back next week uh, for more news until then and james i hope i do this justice it's lights out mics off and away we go Yay. you're listening to the cut to the race podcast it's lights out and away we go sports social podcast network